Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of the Good Morning Liberty Podcast. My name is Nate Thurston, and across from me, as always, is the co-hostess with the mostess, Sir Charles Chuck Thompson. How's it going today, Chuck? Have I been... Was I knighted recently? Yeah. You, you don't remember. You were you're wasted drunk at the, cer- <laughs> the pregame, yeah, the pregame ceremony just... before you got knighted. Yeah. yeah. You didn't look like you were well, really I mean, there, so I, I thought so. With a name like Charles, it comes with a lot of privilege, obviously. You just walk over there and they knight you. A long line of uh, tall, white, male privilege. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I get whatever I want in life because I'm tall, white, and privileged. You've even been having tooth problems. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you've got as much of the British thing going on <laughs> as you can. No offense to our British patrons that that listen to this show every day. I know that we are your favorite nighttime show that you listen to, but you know, we, we got to give you a little bit of hell. It's okay. We won, we won the war. So (laughs) call me, sir. From now on, sir, Charles Thompson. So we have a little bit of it. Oh, by the way, this is the good morning Liberty podcast where we talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning every single day of the week when we want to, and we continue our long streak of wanting to right now. I mean, it's like 15 episodes in a row. So what you need to do is you need to hit that subscribe button. <laughs> You've watched plenty of the Geico commercials. Yeah. <laughs> Sound them really good. Sound them really good. Smash that subscribe button. Follow us on, subscribe on YouTube. We put up videos from the show. If you want to see what we look like, it'll make the podcast so much better. Trust me. <laughs> you could just see what we look like and make sure that you tell a friend, tell a family member, tell an enemy about this podcast. That is how we really grow. The advertisements, those are good. Tell the children. But the word of mouth, you telling someone that they need to listen to this, that's so much better than an ad. Mm-hmm. You know? So, um You're right, Trickle D, high privilege. That's me. <laughs> high <Sir> privilege. Charles. <laughs> I I say that because I saw this video of this uh, state rep from Oklahoma, Democratic. Oklahoma? From Oklahoma. And he was up there giving a speech, telling everyone that he has benefited be- from being tall, white, and male. And he said tall? He did. Wow. Yeah, he said that he got everything he wanted because he was tall, and he was white, and he was straight male. He's been able to and, reach everything he ever wanted in life. And he sees... <laughs> yeah, he was able to reach new heights others couldn't. <laughs> and uh, that's mainly why... You know what? There's There's... Look, there's advantages to being tall. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, there's a hell of a lot of advantages. I mean, a lot of a lot of most people think you play pro sports. Um, <laughs> so I get asked that question all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, but there's also a hell of a lot of advantages to being short. Okay, you know what? Some you know what sucks. A few months ago, when I was stuck in Flo- Florida, down Flo-rida. there, Florida, Florida, we decided yeah. to go to Bush Gardens in Tampa. A great place, awesome. I've been there before once a long time ago. And uh, they have all kinds of cool roller coasters and stuff. And it turns out I can't ride roller coasters anymore. Too tall. I'm too tall. You must be it this short to ride. Now, look, I need to lose some weight. But it wasn't my belly or anything that was keeping the, the shoulder thing from coming down. My back was being compressed from my shoulders. It was literally trying to put the harness over. We ended up getting a refund. I think I told the story on the mm-hmm. show. We ended up getting a refund because I was like, look, you don't. There's nothing that says anything about height maximums here. And so all you little short people that are over whatever, four foot, they can ride all the rides <laughs> and have all the fun. I'm not going to be able to, I'm not going to have those memories with my kids like you are. So you know what? There's, there's disadvantages too. Okay. 
<sighs> which one would you choose being tall or being being too tall or being too short i'd like to be in the middle normal height yeah I mean, I don't mean to say normal right I here to like, your face. If I was like more like six four or six five, I'd yeah. still ride all the rides. I'd be still be tall. What's crazy is, <laughs> since because of your family, I felt like I was short my whole life. Because you or your brothers have been my best friends since we were in high school, and I'm I'm six two. Okay, that's a pretty normal height for a dude, I guess. But I've always been walking around with you all the time. Mm. And so I've always... And my brother. I, and your brother. And I've always felt like I was really short yeah. everywhere we went. For reference, my brother's seven foot. Tall. Yeah. So... A little he, too tall. He's got way more privilege than I did. He had to buy taller <laughs> doors for his house, though. Yeah. You know, so more expensive. Are you going to get those tall doors in your house? I agree. Actually, yeah, we are. Um, yeah, look, it does. It sucks sitting on a bus. It sucks sitting on a plane. It sucks. They they make almost everything for just, I don't even think it's average people. They make it for like tiny people. Mm -hmm. That's how they make everything. Just cram everything in there. And so, yeah, I mean, usually flying, if I fly more than four hours, it costs me more money because I can, I can't stomach. I tried to do it once flying back from Hawaii one time and I about jumped out of the plane. My anxiety <laughs> was through the roof. I couldn't get comfortable. I was crammed and it was like a, I don't know, five and a half hour, six hour flight. All of this. Yeah, see? Thank you. Live group's coming back. Well, next time what we're hearing from the live group is next time you go to Bush Gardens, you should identify as someone who is 6'2". Mm -hmm. Hey, did you try doing that? No. She's like, no, I. but well, I next time. feel as though I'm 6'2". I don't mean to say anything. I don't mean that offensive. I did get okay, to... Just, just making a joke. Hang on. Let me let me clarify, because I did get to ride one ride. Okay. Um, but after, A line ride? No, no. This was an actual roller coaster, and the shoulder straps were... Um, they were softer they weren't like the hard harnesses even though you went upside down in this one it had a lap bar and then had like just kind of like a seat belt type but the problem with that one is i rode that one once and when i got back to the thing they said hey you can't ride this ride anymore because your head came up too tall and you almost hit your head mm. as they were watching the roller coaster mm. go i was like okay great probably shouldn't <laughs> ride that one again well, today, other than how tall Charlie is, we're going to be talking, we're going to be going a little bit in depth over what's going on in India. I don't know if you guys have been seeing stuff on social media, people tweeting, trying to find oxygen. That's a legit thing, by the way. Not a, not a joke right there. Mm. Literally people going to Twitter, trying to find beds and oxygen. Um, what's going on in India with their COVID situation? They now have 20 million cases. There's been quite a few deaths. I believe a lot of those were reported late. I don't know if it was all really happened on that one day or over that one weekend. But regardless, they're in a pretty bad situation right now. And I came across an article pinpointing what the problem was. And of course, you guys can guess what a, what a publication like The Atlantic would pinpoint as what the problem in India is. And it's their capitalist healthcare system. That's what's wrong in mm -hmm. India. It's the, it's the fact that there are rich people that can pay the, to have nice hospitals that they do offer private insurance in India, even though most of it is public. They, they have what would technically be called a, uh, they have universal health care. If you are poor, they do cover health care for, for anyone. Now, a lot of people will still get private insurance because as you can guess, the public health care is not all that great. Mm. even though it's covered for everyone. Mm. And so I saw this as a little bit of a cautionary tale for the U.S. as we move more and more into public health care. 
Well, they're just not doing it right over there. Of course, they yeah. don't have the right people and running it. Honestly, it's rich people doing nothing. Yeah. That's the problem. That, that's what the actual issue is. It's not that they, I mean, they, by the way, they have a 2% wealth tax in India. I was, I was looking at that too. Mm. And uh, so we'll be going a little bit in depth of what's going on because they have a mix. They have like a private healthcare system. And then they also have a public system that is covering everyone. And it sounds, it sounds like a lot like what people on the left side of things would like to have, which is a guaranteed health care, regardless of what type of financial situation you're in. So they offer that public health care for whatever situation you are actually in. But they still allow private insurers and they allow private hospitals as well. And this, this is the problem. It's the fact that all this money is going to the private hospitals and the private insurance. Mm-hmm. That's what the issue is. So, Charlie, get everyone up to date on what's going on here in India. Let me read the one from The Atlantic first. No, or? no, just start. I got them all lined out. Perfect. Gotcha here. Perfect okay. This is from ABC News. Horrible weeks ahead as India's virus catastrophe worsens. COVID-19 infections and deaths are mounting with alarming speed in India with no end in sight to the crisis. And a top expert warning that the coming weeks in the country of nearly 1.4 billion people will be horrible. It's a technical term. In quotes, yeah. Yeah. India's official count of coronavirus cases surpassed 20 million Tuesday, nearly doubling in the past three months, while deaths officially have passed 220,000. Staggering as those numbers are, the true figures are believed to be far higher and uh, the undercount an apparent reflection of the troubles in the healthcare system. The country has witnessed scenes of people dying outside overwhelmed hospitals and funeral pyres lighting up the night sky. The reported caseload is second only to that of the U.S., which has one-fourth of the population of India, uh, but has recorded over 32 million confirmed infections. The U.S. has also reported more than two and a half times as many deaths as India at close to 580,000. On Tuesday, the health ministry reported 357,000-plus new cases in the new in the past 24 hours and 3,449 deaths from COVID-19. The New Delhi High Court announced it will start punishing government officials if supplies of oxygen allocated to hospitals are not delivered. Enough is enough, it said. Punish government officials. Hmm. You you took out the, I read this previously, you took out the paragraph that talked about that uh, the the government allowed the massive crowds for the Hindu. Mm, Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Let's see. It says here, the death and infection figures are considered unreliable. I'm sorry, I I was adding stuff back in just in case you wanted to read. So, yeah. uh, th- there it is. I just put there it, back it is. In. Here it is. Infections have surged in India since February in a disastrous term blamed on more contagious variants of the virus, as well as government decisions to allow massive crowds to gather for Hindu religious festivals and political rallies before state elections. So the deaths reflect the fragility of India's health system. Prime Minister Narendra Modi's party. That's perfect, by the way, <laughs> has countered criticism by pointing out that the underfunding of healthcare has been chronic. So, and what I thought was interesting in there is they're going to start punishing government officials if supplies of oxygen allocated to hospitals are not delivered. Now, that sounds very capitalist and free market. That's a, that, that's what the actual issue is. The mm. government's not allocating the supplies of oxygen properly and, yeah. and that's that's what's actually happening i remember i don't know well, if that's you, issues with the heavily the heavily regulated free market yeah yeah you got to have your highly regulated free markets out there i remember charles i don't know if you do or not arguing with people on social media 
about what the right thing to do to stop the spread of COVID was. And the arguments were, we need to do what India is doing, because what they are doing is, is doing it right. Mm. And we were arguing back and forth, and I looked to see what they were doing, and well, they were literally just locking people indoors and beating them if they left. Yeah. <laughs> that, that kind of thing. And now they're having a really vicious second wave. Cause I worked with someone um, who is from India. She went back to visit her family and she couldn't get back to the United States. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I so remember she was there for a long time. We ended up shipping her uh, a laptop to get on the <laughs> network so she could work from there. Um, Cause it, she was not literally not allowed out of the house, mm. out of the house. Even Jeez, couldn't go anywhere. Well, so I wanted to dig in a little bit today about how India's healthcare system works. We talked a little bit before already about how they have a mix of public and private, but they do cover anyone who needs it. They've got a guaranteed universal healthcare for anyone who needs it, depending on your income levels. And you can also go to private hospitals, clinics, things like that, and have your private insurance. So a little bit of background information on India's healthcare system. Uh, India has a universal multi-payer healthcare model that is paid for by a combination of public and private health insurances, along with the element of almost entirely tax-funded public hospitals. The public hospital system is essentially free for all Indian residents, except for small, often symbolic co-payments in some services. Public health care is free for every Indian resident. Mm. The Indian public health sector encompasses 18% of total outpatient care, 44% of total inpatient care, uh, middle and upper class individuals living in India tend to use public health care less than those with a lower standard of living. In 1970, another just random thing, I'll throw it in. It's not like we talked about anything pertaining to this yesterday. In 1970, the Indian government banned medical patents. Mm. India signed the TRIPS agreement, which allows medical patents in 1995, but establishes the compulsory license where any pharmaceutical company has the right to produce any patented product by paying a fee. Okay, so they did ban patents, but if now you can do it, but you have to just pay a fee and then you can make whatever someone else is doing. Does that fee go to them, you think, I, or does it go to government? I have no idea. I don't know if this traces back to any shortages or anything not being created in India, but I just thought that that was interesting mm -hmm. to mention. So uh, under this thing, saying understanding how India's healthcare system works, India is home to one of the world's largest healthcare systems. Despite huge challenges, it, this, the country provides fee, albeit basic, healthcare to over one billion people. That's no small accomplishment! Exclamation point. This thing said. In theory, India has universal healthcare. In some states, as much as ninety percent of the public relies on government-run hospitals, which are free. I'm sure there's no taxes whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> However, as critics quickly point out, India's universal health care is not exactly universal. There are significant gaps in care based on gender, social class, and geography. What's hilarious is the, the government-owned hospital in Nashville is the worst one. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to cut in here and tell you about our sponsor, BetterHelp. You've heard us talk about them before. It's Charlie's favorite app, BetterHelp. You can go to BetterHelp.com or you can download the app. BetterHelp is this great app that pairs you with a licensed therapist. So it's therapy over your phone, all right? If you are having a tough time getting by right now, maybe you're dealing with anxiety, maybe you're just not as happy as you think you should be. Maybe you're not finding the meaning 
in life. You know, we talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning. Maybe you're not finding that meaning in your life that you think that you should be. If you're dealing with anxiety, with depression, with relationship problems, BetterHelp has got a licensed therapist for you. It's super simple. You just go to the website, betterhelp.com slash GML, and that's going to give you 10% off your first month, by the way. So you go to betterhelp.com slash GML, you make an account, they ask you some questions about yourself, some preferential questions, and they're going to pair you with a therapist that they think will work best for you. If you don't want that therapist, that's fine. You just pick another one, okay? It's safe, it's secure, it's a way to actually talk to a therapist without having to go into the office much cheaper than going into the office, by the way. Listen. Taking care of your brain, of your mental health, is super important. I don't know if you know this, but your brain controls everything that you do. Okay, so maybe it would help you to be talking to someone about it. You can message through the app. You can do video call. You can do voice calls. All kinds of stuff with the BetterHelp app. So go get that app. Make sure you sign up through betterhelp.com GML to get that 10% off your first month. You tell him we said, hey. I know. It's so bad. Literally, the you know, I've, and I'm sure you have too, but I've, I've seen the numbers on it. Yeah. And the public hospital in Nashville it's is not, not where you want to go. It is so bad. At all. So by law, providing healthcare services is a state responsibility. States additionally charged with addressing public health, nutrition, standards of living. Just how well they succeed in their undertakings varies tremendously. Corruption is widespread, both among government and healthcare officials. As a result, public facilities are underfunded. Standards of care are basic, at best, and sometimes abhorrent, at worst. Supplies that are supposed to be guaranteed, such as free medications, are often unavailable. Unsurprisingly, wait times are significant. Patients sometimes resort to bribery in an effort to receive timely care. While a significant portion of India's population makes use of private health care facilities, very few carry private health insurance. Just 17 to 25% are thought to have this form of coverage. So th this is sounding super capitalist, right? Their problem is this rampant, what we've got is, is unchecked free market running mm -hmm. rampant That's in the India. Problem. That's what's happening right now. The state of healthcare in rural India is problematic to say the least. 74% of India's doctors serve urban areas. That's where the richer and more private hospitals are. 74% of the doctors serve the urban areas. In India's vast rural territories, doctors are very sparse. The statistic seems unlikely to change. Doctors are frustrated by poor housing, education options, and infrastructure in rural areas. Then there are the hospitals themselves. There are half as many beds compared to urban facilities. Additionally, rural hospitals are perpetually the last to receive new equipment. This all adds up to devastating results for local health care. For instance, children under five in certain rural areas have high mortality rates than those in urban environments. Hmm. Okay, so this, as you can tell, it's the free, it's the free market and the rich that are destroying this right now. Of course, the, the government, if they would just provide universal health care for people, this then that, get rid of that private option, then you could solve the problem. Yeah, yeah, pretty crazy. So to keep diving in here, this from CNN: India's healthcare system close to collapse. So India's healthcare system and other essential services. This is recent too, by the way, April twenty first today. Um, oh, no, this is April 20th. You're right. Yeah. yeah. And other essential services are close to collapse as a second coronavirus wave that started in mid-March tears through the country with devastating speed. On Wednesday, the country saw its highest daily rise in infections and deaths since the start of the pandemic. 
as hospitals turn away patients and beg for more oxygen, while desperate families plead for beds and medicines on social media. On Monday, Delhi Chief Minister Arvind Kurjawal, Kurjawal warned <laughs> that failing to halt Kurjawal. <laughs> failing to halt movement in the city could lead to tragedy. They have all these technical terms here. When India went into lockdown last March, the mass exodus of migrant workers from the cities became one of the most enduring images of the country's battle against the virus and is believed to have helped the spread of COVID-19 nationwide. This month, thousands of people have been seen heading to railway stations and bus stops in cities such as Mumbai and Delhi. Yet the central government has maintained that no reverse migration is taking place. So it's not looking even, good. Even though it is, they're like, no, it's not happening. <laughs> no, it's happening. No, no. It, no, no people aren't no. leaving. Those, those no. pictures are faked. Oh, those are photoshopped. Yeah. Fake news. No, no, people aren't leaving. Okay, so we've pinpointed the problem now, though, because when there is a problem, you got to pinpoint what it is, because if you're going to create a solution... If you're going to somehow solve something bad that's happening, you need to accurately pinpoint what the problem is. And so the Atlantic has done this for us. India is what happens when rich people do nothing. So that's that's what's <laughs> happening. Okay, this month the chief this probably qualifies for dumb bleep. This really India is what happens when rich people do nothing. This month, the chief minister of Delhi, India's capital and home to millions, tweeted that the city was facing an acute shortage of medical oxygen. Individual tales of people finding oxygen or a hospital bed via Twitter cannot hide the reality. There will soon be no beds left. Medicines are running out. There aren't enough ambulances to carry the sick to get care, nor are there enough vans to carry the dead to the graveyards. There aren't even enough graveyards, nor enough wood to burn the nece necessary pyres. Is that Pyres? Is that, is that Pyres. how you say that? That's right. Okay. Laying the blame now that they're going to, oh, could be the government. Laying the blame for India's coronavirus disaster at Modi's feet would be easy. That's the prime minister. Certainly much can be attributed to his government. India's experience of the pandemic will be defined by, by this enormous second wave. But the chamber of horrors this country now finds itself in was not caused by any one man or any single government. It is the greatest moral failure of our generation. This is the greatest moral failure of our generation. It's just because the rich aren't doing anything. India's economic liberalization in the 90s brought with it rapid expansion of the private healthcare industry, a shift that ultimately created a system of medical apartheid. World-class private hospitals centered to wealthy Indians and medical tourists from abroad. State-run facilities were for the poor. Those with money were able to purchase the best available care, or in the case of the absolute richest, flee to safety in private jets. While elsewhere in the country's healthcare infrastructure was held together with duct tape. I don't think they mean that literally. <laughs> the Indians who bought their way to a healthier life did not, or choose not to see the widening gulf. Today, they are clutching their pearls as their, lo as their loved ones fail to get ambulances, doctors, medicine, and oxygen. The time has taught me that there, that time has taught me that there's no shortcut to public health. She talked about this story where uh, there was this, uh, basically this toxic spill in India that I think it killed like 5,000 people. Mm. Okay. Still didn't pinpoint how it was the fault of the rich or anything. It was that the government didn't do enough to protect people, mm -hmm. but it's never the fault of the government. 
And it's never the idea that the government can never actually protect people that anyone actually lands on. It's rich people. It's rich people. That's what it is. Mm. Okay, there's no shortcut to public health. No opting out from it. Now the rich sit alongside the poor, facing a reckoning that had only ever plagued the vulnerable in India. Wait, so they can't buy their way out of it. Mm. Huh. Interesting. Averting our gaze from the tragedies surrounding us, remaining divorced from reality in our little bubbles, our political and moral choices. We have been willfully unaware of the ricketiness, ricketiness, that's a technical term of our healthcare system. I mean, when you're holding it together with duct tape, I feel like yeah. you'd have to notice that. The Although co- you, your car held together pretty. It did. Well, zip ties. Tape and zip ties. Zip ties. Yeah. Big thing. Yeah, they should have used zip ties. That's, yeah. yeah, that's what I'm noticing right now. Uh-huh. The collective well-being of our nation depends on us showing solidarity with and compassion toward one another. No one is safe until everyone is. No one is safe until everyone is. Our actions compound one small act at a time. Not pressing for greater attention to the vulnerable because we are safe. Not demanding better hospitals for all Indians because we can afford excellent health care. Assuming we can seal ourselves off from our country's failings towards our compatriots. Okay, so... so what's so interesting is she, she basically explains a paradox between the government-run <laughs> terrible health care system yeah. versus the private health care system. But then somehow still blames the private healthcare system, yeah. <laughs> even though it's good. Now, this was a long article. I cut it up a lot, but she never went into how the fact that there is a private healthcare system has taken away from the public healthcare system. Because, of course, they, they have a wealth tax in India. They got taxes, of course. The government pays for all of this stuff. They provide the health care for anyone who needs it. She never pinpoints why actually people going to private hospitals would somehow cause the public hospitals to suck when they're just using their tax money to, to pay for the public cost. She never pinpoints anything like that, how it's actually causing the problem. The problem now is that the rich aren't stepping in to help everyone and that the rich tried to ignore the fact that they had a class system in their health care. But she never, like you just said, never lands on the fact that the government runs the healthcare system, the government provides healthcare for anyone who needs it, and they are clearly failing. And it's garbage. It's a garbage healthcare system. Never lands on that. Mm-mm. I don't understand how you can't get how you how you can't reach that conclusion from knowing all of these things that you still have to blame rich people because they're not doing enough right now. What about your ideas failing, falling flat on their face? killing thousands or hundreds of thousands of people. What about your ideas failing right now? Can we talk about that ever? Can't. No. It's because the rich people didn't do enough. Yeah. It's the rich that's people. That's what it is. Yeah. That's the problem. This is what happens when rich people do nothing. Yeah. Oh, it's the man. same old story. Crazy. All right. Another thing that could be in dumb bleep is this next article because now Slate double teaming here coming together with the Atlantic. right now. With the Atlantic. Now, they're not talking about India, but they have pin- <sighs> they have pinpointed why we can't go back to normal. Slate found out why we can't go back to normal. Mm. So they're going to let us know. The biggest remaining challenge in stopping the coronavirus is what this one says here. Got, like, give, me, give me a little Coke break. Hang on. Oh, we got an article about Woca-Cola right after this. Mm, Woca-Cola. Yep. On April 15th, at a hearing on the coronavirus pandemic, Representative Jim Jordan harangued. Uh, harangued, yeah. <laughs> Harangued. Sorry, that, that word threw me off for a it second. It means 
to harangue. Yeah. Anthony Fauci, the director of the, he's the top doctor, basically. Um, Jordan, an outspoken critic of mask mandates, demanded to know when Americans would, quote, get their liberties back and be able to move on with their lives. Fauci explained that the answer depended on progress in vaccination, which in turn depended on how many people were willing to roll up their sleeves. Jordan, who had passed up an invitation to get vaccinated in December and had reiterated in March that he was in no hurry to get his shot, ignored Fauci's point and went on with his tirade. This is the paradox we're dealing with as we try to get control of the virus. People who won't get vaccinated, in many cases, the same people who defy mask orders and other public health measures, are holding us back from resuming normal life. Many of them are deliberate freeloaders. They're counting on the rest of us to suppress the pandemic and thereby protect them by getting vaccinated while they refuse to do the same. Now, can we talk about them <laughs> deciding that people who are waiting for other people to take an action and then are going to benefit from that? Are freeloaders. Are freeloaders. Mm. How about that? Wow. How about that? Why do so many people who hate COVID restrictions refuse to participate in the vaccination program that could end these restrictions? The answer, in most cases, is that they don't worry much about the virus, so they don't think we need masks, distance, or vaccines. Not all refusers, however, discount the importance of vaccination. Some have made a different calculation. They think they don't need to get vaccinated because everyone else is getting vaccinated, and they figure that will solve the problem. That's what we're up against as we strive to immunize our population. Millions of people won't wear masks, won't respect social distance, won't quarantine when they've when they're exposed to the virus won't take recommended precautions to protect the vulnerable and won't get vaccinated when it's their turn either. A nation of Anthony Fauci's is trapped in a nation of Jim Jordan's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like I said the other day, I mean, people are tired of being restricted. Yeah. They're out at the clubs, hanging out. I walk around now. They're not even requiring masks and almost anywhere you go except for Davidson County, like in Nashville, like downtown. I went to my I went to get my my acupuncture done today. Mm -hmm. I got to get that on my back, you know, because my back is broken. Spinal spinal. Mm -hmm. It's broken. So I went to acupuncture today and not even the doctor there was wearing a mask. No huh. one in the office was wearing a mask. How about that at all? Pretty crazy. She's been wearing a mask. This is my first time seeing her without a mask on. And I've been going there for several months. People are over it. Mm -hmm. Everyone's sick of it. And you know what? I might fit in. I might fit into it. The, maybe they can pinpoint me as a problem because they talk about the answer in most cases is that they don't worry much about the virus. They don't think we need masks. No, they talk about they don't think they need to get vaccinated because everyone else is getting vaccinated and they figure that will solve the problem. Mm. I've had that thought several times. Yeah. I'm like, I bet you that person's vaccinated. Yeah. I'm good. No why problem. Do, why do I need to get it? Why do I need to get this vaccine? Yeah. But I couple that with also not being worried about the virus at the same time. Mm. So it's not like I'm worried about the virus, but I'm depending on other people to get vaccinated. I fit in both of those categories. Yeah. So therefore, I'm not hypocritical when it comes to being a freeloader. Well, look, and the data's in. I mean, it's, for the most part, you have a 99.999% chance of surviving if you get this infection uh, if you're under the age of 65. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's not too bad. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and then if you don't have any com comorbidities either, I mean, you know, each, the more unhealthy you are, the, the higher the chances of, of dying from something like this. Mm 
But um, it's just, it's amazing to me how they see this as, they see this as people who are tired of their liberties being taken away from them as it's it, that it's their fault that mm-hmm. we don't have the liberties back yet. Yeah. Not anyone else's fault. It's amazing. Honestly, I, I just, how, how do you get to that place? It, I don't know, but we, when, when we are working to organize our movement, we have got to be willing to take all the pages out of the left's playbook because they are some freaking just mind wizards out there. You're right. Like you, you don't have these liberties. Well, it's your fault. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's why you don't have them. This is all on you. It you. is crazy, man. Okay, I'm no gonna. No reason you should be protesting or anything like that. Charles, right wing QAnon conspiracy thirsts. I'm gonna do something that you've probably never heard me do before, mm. and this is a first. This is a first ever, and it's never. And it's honestly, it's because it's never needed to happen. And we've been friends for a long time. I know. So I'm, 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 I'm not sure I'm prepared. Good thing I'm sitting down. There is a chance that I possibly could have been or might be in the future could be maybe wrong about something uh, wrong wrong about something hmm. okay do you remember that talk we had about how the boycotts on coca-cola were totally worthless <laughs> and they never did anything humble enough to admit it i am that's how mother can humble i am <laughs> y'all think you can humble with me no you can't i'm way humbler than you are yeah okay yeah Listen, I might have been wrong about the fact that the Coca-Cola boycott wouldn't work. Now, mm. my general idea is that boycotts are mostly mostly pointless. But hey, in this case, maybe not. Because Coca-Cola is pausing on its woke initiatives after pressure. All right, this is from The Blaze, so it's colored in all types of right-wing propaganda. earlier this year coca-cola became the poster child for how a corporation could shove leftist ideologies onto its consumers the company hold on i need something to drink (laughs) yeah there we go the company suspended advertising on facebook in a push to censor former president donald trump published a manifesto about racial equity and demanded all legal teams working for coke meet certain diversity quotas but now after trump Cruz and Paul and many other conservative voices called for a boycott of the company's products. Coca-Cola appears to be shifting directions. Hmm. The Washington Examiner reported that the company issued a conciliatory statement after conspicuously failing to appear on a published list of hundreds of corporations and individuals denouncing the Georgia voting bill. And Hmm. Coca-Cola's name wasn't on the bill. How about that? They said, quote, We believe the best way to make progress now is for everyone to come together and listen respectfully, share concerns, and collaborate on a path forward. We remain open and productive conversations with advocacy groups and lawmakers who may have differing views, the company said. It's time to find common ground. In the end, we all want the same thing, free and fair elections, the cornerstone of our democracy. Mm. Then last week, Coca-Cola's new general counsel told members of a company's legal team that the diversity initiative is taking a pause for now. Hmm. Gaten resigned. This is the person who was running unexpectedly from the position on April 21st after only eight months on the job. That was the person who was pushing the diversity initiative. They resigned. New person coming in magically says they're going to pause on the Coca-Cola initiative. Pause. How about that? The numbers are coming in and we need to pause. So... 
maybe I'll, I'll take you back to what michael jordan said republicans buy sneakers too yeah and so like if if you don't want to piss off a large group of people if you know half the country not really because there's a lot of independents but then don't piss them off and and that's that's what you do you stay out of those types of things so that's you can focus on what you should be doing which is making sales mm-hmm. and they thought by taking a certain position was going to increase their sales but the other problem coca-cola has is that it's full of sugar <laughs> and they full. cause diabetes okay so a lot of people on the left especially them vegans hate coca-cola anyway so yep. not trying to take a stand with them ain't nobody gonna drink coca-cola now i'll drink some coca-cola zero even though it's probably just it's just it might be worse for you honestly turns out a lot of old fat white people probably chug 20 diet cokes a day mm-hmm. to that to get off their diabetes old fat white conservatives <laughs> <laughs> so anyway uh, maybe this one did work and they also are probably worried about potential tax incentives that they'll lose in their different areas in in georgia I'm sure that had something to do with it as well, mm-hmm. and uh, they're gonna go. They're gonna go where the money's at. That's what they're gonna do. Mm-hmm. Okay, isn't, so isn't that to something? Isn't that to something? All right. Well, that's all I have for the day. Because mm. I, I reckon the dive into India's policies would be enough listening and enough stuff to talk about for the day. Mm-hmm. So I reckon tomorrow is gonna be Wednesday. It's gonna be my three-year wedding anniversary. How about oh, that? How yeah. about that? Gonna go to Jay Alexander's because <laughs> that's what we do. Congratulations! Yeah, gonna be. Uh, if we make it till tomorrow, we'll hit three years. <laughs> I'm glad we picked Cinco de Mayo. Yeah, that way we could always remember it because both of us, uh, neither one of us, really care about anniversaries. <laughs> so it, it we're, last week we're like, oh yeah, wedding anniversary is yeah. coming up. What'd you get her? How about that? Nothing. Well, we yeah. don't do gifts. Yeah, we haven't. I think I got. Am I invited to dinner? Of course. Not the after party. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, sure. Oh. Yeah, you can be there. <laughs> just, yeah, you can be there for sure. Just dinner. I'll let you know. I'll give you the address and where we're going to go <laughs> and what time it's going to be and all that. No, we don't do gifts. I think that that's an important thing to do with your loved ones is not do gifts <laughs> because it creates a lot of stress. And, um, you know, my, my wife knows that it's best if she wants, if she really wants something or needs it, it's best that she picks it out and buys it. And if she tells me what to get, then it's basically pointless. Mm-hmm. And so we've we just both landed on. Hey, if you want something, go get it. Car. We don't we don't do Christmas, birthdays, anniversaries, any Car? of that stuff. No, no, note, like a note. No, nothing, not a single thing. Well, sometimes you wake up and write her a note and say, "Good morning, beautiful." And maybe, yeah, we, we do. I mean, so what about gifts? That is how I say. <laughs> gifts is a hard word to say. Gifts, especially if you have a lisp. Yeah, you know, it's a tough thing. Okay. All right, y'all, make sure that you fo- you follow the podcast. If you're still here, thank you. You're one of our top fans, I guarantee it, if you're still listening to this mess that's going on right now. Um, it's only Tuesday. Nate's in love, all right? That's what I we're talking about. I am in love. He's in love. For show. It's almost it's 12 years now that we've actually been together. So Only three years legally three years recognized by the government. Yeah, three years that the government has, al- has allowed us to share the same bed. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, anyway, make sure you guys subscribe, follow, hit all those buttons that say that you're going to see the stuff that we do every single day and we want to. You guys keep the show going. Our Patreon subscribers, you keep the show going. And hopefully we'll see some of you guys at some of these festivals we're going to be going to. Maybe we'll mm-hmm. talk about Book and Pork Fest after this. Uh, we're, we're on Freedom Fest 
And I know we'll be doing the YAL convention also in 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 our Americans for Liberties. Yeah, the the Young Americans for Liberty convention. I still think that Young Americans for Liberty is the best activist organization that we have right now. Like mm-hmm. they actually get stuff done. You know, yeah. like when I when I think about what's the most hopeful thing that's actually taking action actionable steps and winning. It's definitely Young Americans for Liberty. Mm-hmm. They're they're not just talking about stuff. They get people elected. They do. So, anyhow, sometimes by a few votes, like as little as four. Yeah, it, it actually matters. It really does matter. So y'all do all what Nate said. Share the show. Subscribe everywhere you possibly can. Leave us that rating and review on Apple Podcasts or um, anywhere you can leave that rating and review. That helps us way more than you know. The show continues to grow, and we can't thank you guys enough for all of that. And then uh, tell the children. Tell the children about the show and uh, go sign up for everything that we do because that's how Liberty wins. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you guys do all that, then we'll be back again tomorrow to talk more about Nate and his wife's relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, I hope you guys have a good day and a good morning, Liberty. <laughs>